0: I'm Joel Watson. This story is called Loss of Blood from the book collection Machine of Death. For more information, please visit machineofdeath.net. Loss of Blood by Jeff Stouts. I've got three months left to live and I'm in an apartment building on Figueroa kicking down someone's door. Paramedics! I shout. We're coming in! No response. Sweat rolls down my back and the hallway stinks like the inside of a fish I'm a scheduled man, the living dead, but here I am, tagging and bagging in the slums of Angel City like it's any other Tuesday. Titus, my partner, leans against the wall behind me and scrubs his fingernails through his goatee. Hundred credits, says it's a skag overdose. I give the door another kick and plaster dust trickles down from the ceiling. All we know are the facts that came with the ping. Black female, early twenties, unconscious and unresponsive. No name or class registered, no data feed on her at all. Come on, a hundred credits, Titus says. Class J-8 overdose, I bet betcha. He puts his hand out for me to shake, but I'm in no mood for this shit. My head's full of sand and my eyes won't focus. I slap his hand away from me. What's crawled up your ass today, Titus asks. I haven't told him I'm scheduled. I think about how it feels to be wrapped in my body, the speck of my soul floating in all this meat. Everything I know will end in 86 days. I give the door another kick and the whole thing splinters off its hinges. We head into the apartment back towards the bedroom. The floor plan's typical thirties construction, slapped together in the years after the separation when all the upper classes evacuated to the garden. On the kitchen table, empty beer bottles huddle together with cigarette butts in their bellies, the wreckage of others' lives. Last night, Helene and I cried into each other's cheeks and made love with our teeth knocking together in the dark. This morning, she'd hung on my shoulders as I stood in the door in my uniform. Her round stomach our unborn baby, pressed against my belt. "'Let's stay home,' she had said. "'Otherwise I'll think myself crazy. Titus needs me. The grid's lit up with calls. "'I'll scream if you go.' I put my hand over her mouth, and she bit my palm. Sometimes at night when I touched my forehead to Helene's, I could feel her thoughts turning inside her. They brushed my skin like whispers, and I imagined the two of us melting together. But now, in the scummy one-bedroom on Figueroa, I'm frozen in my own blood, and the apartment's armchairs slump in the corners. Nightmares on casters. Titus and I find the victim sprawled on the bedroom floor, with her skirt knotted around her thighs, and her feet bare, and one arm stretched out across the stained carpet. The windows open behind her. Whoever called this one in must have climbed out and run off. I kneel down over the woman and feel her strong, steady breath on my cheek. "'Can't smell skag on her,' I say. You lost the bet." "'Not like we shook on it,' Titus says." I turn the victim's head and brush her hair back to expose the barcode tattooed behind her left ear. Titus leans in and scans her. "'Miss Peppa Dawson,' he says, then flicks the LCD on his tagger. "'No class listed, though. It's drawn a blank.' "'Fake tags?' I ask. Looks like. Encryption's misaligned. I can't find a thing wrong with her. No bleeding, no bruises, no breaks. And she's not liquored up or slugged out on drugs. Looks peaceful, like she's sleeping.' I touch the line of Pepper's jawbone and I think about Helene. I think about our baby. I think about free fall from 30,000 feet. The cold gray ocean rushing up to meet us. My stomach flips. Pepper coughs and her eyes snap open. Then she yelps and recoils from me. My white uniform and blue gloves. My belt blinking with electronics. No, I'm fine, she says. Just fainted is all. She scrambles backward across the floor. Everyone tries to do this. Soon as they recognize who we are and what we're there for, it never does any good. We already have our hands around Pepper's arms and I'm trying to shush her, keep her calm while Titus does the blood sample. He presses the tagger's piston into the inside of her left elbow. Don't, she says. I can explain. Heard that one before, Titus says. His cheeks are pale gray, his face a chisel. He pulls the trigger and the piston snaps and the tagger's lights go blue as it uploads the blood sample. Pepper thrashes, pounds her heels on the floor. I fight to hold onto her. It goes like this. We check the victim's tags and run their blood. If their fate matches their symptoms, we cart them off to St. Michael's Hospice so the priests can euthanize them. But if their symptoms don't match, we don't do a whole lot. Just slap some bandages on, give them some pills, that sort of thing. Patch and release. We can't afford to waste too many hospice supplies on the non-dying. We shouldn't even call ourselves paramedics. We're busboys. We ship bodies and clean up messes, that's all. What do you bet a blood's fake too? Titus asks me. He wipes sweat from his forehead. Black Market blood isn't unheard of, especially in this part of Angel City. In the fate-scrubbing shops, they'll alter your tags, mod your fingerprints, scramble your retinas, and swap out your Slumlander blood for some nice, clean, garden-class blood. None of it actually changes your fate, as far as anyone can tell. But Slumlanders are desperate bastards. Please, Pepper says. Her voice has become small, like a child's, and I can feel her pulse jumping in her arm. I want to tell her that I know what it's like. I know how it feels to look at death, to have its teeth on your neck. Two weeks ago, Helene and I had argued with our death counselor about our notice of scheduling. We're too young, we had said. This whole thing had to be a mistake. A clerical fuck-up somewhere. The counselor had folded his arms. He looked like a typical ministry fob. Bad haircut, high collar, face pocked like sandstone. He took off his skull cap and tucked it under one arm and crossed himself. I wanted to spit in his face. What you're feeling is natural, he'd said. Your denial, your questioning, all very natural at this stage. He licked his thumb and flipped through our files. His voice oozed like motor oil. You're all 4s Plane crashes both of you. The longer we wait to schedule you, the more likely your fate will be expressed in unexpected ways. Last time that happened, an airliner hit Denali microchip. 8.2 billion in damage. Damage? Sure. But when I looked around at our apartment, a middle wing hole in a neighborhood full of garbage and rotting linoleum and blowflies and broken glass... All of a skeleton shuffling around down here in the ruins. I wondered what the difference was between this life and wreckage. When something blows up in the slumlands, you're just moving rubble around. Helene picked up the frayed edges of her bathrobe and tried to smile at the counselor, but it wound up looking cruel. The lack of sleep had turned us into marionettes. I asked about the appeals process, and the counselor shoved a thick stack of paperwork at me. Form 1678-ATF, Request for Extension of Fate Application. It was crowded with dotted lines and small type, layers of subforms, bricks of legal jargon. Helene's knee pressed against me under the table. The counselor explained that it'd take two weeks for the ministry's office to process our request. At that point, our case would be passed on to a higher court in the Orthodoxy, where a panel of clerks and lay priests would review it. If all went well, the counselor said, they'd contact us for interviews, background checks, and then they'd give us an application. I thought this was the application, Helene said. No, the counselor said. It's a request for the application. I felt hollow. Outside the window, searchlights swept the edge of the slums and a siren wailed. The Ministry, hunting for someone. I imagined beastly, slack-jawed men with guns patrolling the ruins. The counselor mumbled on about the beauty of sacrifice. He talked about the strength of our nation, how scheduling deaths prevented wars, famines, natural disasters. It was all so much bullshit. But we crossed ourselves, mechanically, as he led us in prayer. "'Providence,' the counselor recited. "'Help Kelvin and Helene to meet their fates with grace.' "'I'm pregnant,' Helene told the counselor. She twisted the sash of her robe around her hands, and her breath came in quick, shallow gulps. "'You'll kill our baby.' "'I know,' the counselor told us. "'And for that, we are truly sorry.' "'Mother fucks, Helene said. She swept her arm across the table, and our paperwork cascaded to the floor. The counselor didn't flinch. "'I prayed,' she said, her voice shaking. "'We made tithes, I anointed myself, and I used the rosaries. "'Our baby's not supposed to come with us.'" Helene had always had a stubborn sense of justice. Once, when we'd been in high school, a rainstorm had soaked the ruins for days, and scads of earthworms had crawled out from the dirt to drown on the sidewalks. Helene spent hours on hands and knees rescuing the squirming things. Her jeans soaked through, her hair plastered to her forehead. The counselor shook his head and tapped a few notes into his palm top. "'Mrs. Ayashi,' he said. I'm a little dismayed at your progress to date. Piss off, I told him. The councillor raised his eyebrows. The Ministry won't be pleased with my report, he said. The Ministry can go to hell, I said. The counselor glared, set his skull cap atop his damp hair, and got up to leave. He pointed at the paperwork scattered across our kitchen floor. Don't even bother with the forms, he said. In the apartment on Figueroa, the samples come back with a readout of Pepper's fate. Whoa, Titus said, loss of blood, definite class X, ambiguities off the charts, possible group risk, possibly violent circumstances. Pepper flails her arms and arches her back and just about pulls my arms out of their sockets. Titus plants his knee on Pepper's chest, pinning her to the floor. His tagger starts beeping and its light splash red. Our blood's not even in the system at all, Titus says. What's that mean? An untagged, he says. Holy shit. I look at Pepper, an untagged, a traitor, A terrorist, a ticking time bomb. The Ministry makes a big show of hunting down the untagged, weeding them out. They haven't been tested at birth like the rest of us, they don't have classes, don't know how their lives in. I wonder what it's like for them, not knowing. Well, I thought, she sure as hell knows now. What's the reward up to these days? 10 mil? Titus asks. Hold it for a second. I take both Pepper's hands and she tries to twist them away from me. My gloves are wet now, sweat covering everything. Ten million credits for turning in an untagged. Ten million credits for killing someone. Titus pulls the plastic zip ties from his belt and wraps them around Pepper's wrists. No police, he says. They'll just want a cut of the money. We take us straight to the Ministry. They'll kill me, Pepper says. I haven't done anything and they'll kill me. They'll kill me too. On September 13th, the Ministry men will take Colleen and I off to the airfield in their black cars. They'll pack us onto a plane with the other R-4s, and then the pilot will fly us out over the Pacific and kill us all. Can't run from our fates, honey, Titus says. Last week I'd tried a new tactic. I'd slipped my cred stick into the counselor's palm as he left our apartment, told him I'd do whatever it took to get this straightened out. I told him there should be enough in that account to keep him happy, keep him quiet. He just snarled at me and let the cred stick clatter to the floor. Don't think for a second that you're the first person who tried to bribe me, he'd said, his eyes narrowed. I shuddered. A few choice words from the counselor and they'd toss Helene and I into a holding cell. The Ministry excelled at torture. Once they knew how someone died, they knew how to inflict pain without killing them. They knew exactly what he'd be most afraid of. We're in the business of reducing ambiguities, the counselor hissed at me. What do you think would happen if everyone sidestepped their fate? After the counselor had left, Helene and I had lain in our sour sheets, listening to the sirens and clatter of our neighborhood. Trash fires crackled somewhere down the block aerosol cans exploding in the flames. Kids shouted and tossed rocks at each other. Helene pressed her toes against my leg and stretched her arm across my chest. She slept on her side these days. On her back, she felt like the baby was crushing her, and on her front, she felt like she'd been draped over a bowling ball. We're zombies, I told her. I cupped my palm over her cheek. We've always been zombies, she said. Just now, we've got a date for it. For years, I'd had the same nightmares. Sterile, white plasticine and a seatbelt tied across my lap, cold wind rushing past me. In the dream, I would look out the window of the plane to see the ocean at a sickening tilt. When we hit the whitecaps, there'd always be a shriek of metal, and then static. Death sounded like static, and the dream kept going after that. A black canvas stretched across my mind, no eyes to see or skin to feel, and the static kept churning, like an engine in the dark, on and on. "'Feel this,' Helene said and guided my hand across the taut skin of her stomach feels like his spine we wanted what every parent in the slumlands wanted we wanted our baby to come out healthy we wanted the priest to tag him and smile and tell us our son was a class a a cancer or heart disease and not a squib like we are we wanted the priest to hustle our precious baby away evac him out of angel city on black ministry helicopters take him across the fifty miles of desert to the garden The archbishop and the rest of the orthodoxy lived in the garden. So did the financial district, the nation's politico-corporate headquarters. Towers of glass and steel, beautiful people and clean houses. Only the upper class could live there. People with slow deaths or predictable ones, or fates with low violence ratings. Low classes weren't allowed to come close. Too much risk to the government, to the economy. All of us gunshot wounds, shrapnel deaths, stabbings, poisonings, industrial accidents. We'd been pinned down here in the slums with the factories and pollutants. Better for society that way. Helene and I stared at the ceiling. The air smelled thick with gypsum dust. What if we'd never been tested? I asked her. She laughed. We'd live in the desert with the untagged. Starve to death out there. Helene and I both lay silent for a while, breathing across each other's lips, thinking about the sun-blasted wastes, the yucca and the brush in the open countryside. If we were untagged, I thought, we'd disappear into the Arroyos and the Ministry would never find us. I tried to sleep but I'd barely shut my eyes before sunlight trickled in through the holes in our curtains. We strap Pepper onto a gurney and carry her outside. The heat's like an oven. In front of the apartment complex, a statue of an angel glowers, its wings casting scythes of shadow. The engraving on the statue's pedestal reads, Your Sacrifice Benefits Humanity, but someone had crossed out benefits and spray-painted derails in its place. All around us, the slumlands spread out in geometric sludge, and aerials scraped the afternoon shit from the sky. Titus pops open the back of the ambulance. Ten million credits, Kelvin, he says, and he shows me teeth. He opens the driver's side door and climbs inside. Load her in and let's go. I look down at Pepper. She quivers, jerking against the leather straps, her skin goosebumped. Our baby won't ever have a name. They'll fly Helene and I out over the ocean and put the plane into a spiral. The scream of the engines will swallow us and our baby will never have a name. Before I can think about what I'm doing, my hands move over Pepper's restraints, unfastening them. She sits up and blinks. Me and my wife, I tell her, we're scheduled. Our baby. I'm shaking. You must know people. Some place we can hide. Pepper nods and cranes her neck to look back at Titus. He's fiddling with the radio in the cab and isn't paying attention to us. My breath rasps in my mouth. My tongue feels suddenly heavy. There are safe houses, Pepper says. Her wrists and ankles are still zip-tied together and she holds them up. We have a whole network of them. Cut me loose. We'll need a blood swap, I tell her. We need someone to lead us into the desert. We will, she says. I can already picture the lone highway stretching out through the Choya. Helena and I will raise our baby in the cacti away from the smog, away from the ministry. I pull out my knife and slice through Pepper's zip ties. She rubs her wrist and scrambles to her feet. Then she rears back and spits in my face. Fucking pig, she says. She shoves past me and ducks into an alley filled with garbage bags and oil slicks. She sprints out into the maze of the sprawl. Titus slams the door of the ambulance. The hell's wrong with you, he asks. I open my mouth, but no sound comes out. For more stories about The Machine of Death, visit our website, machineofdeath.net. This audio file is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike License. That means you can feel free to share it, send it around, or adapt it however you like. But please don't sell it. I'm Joel Watson. If you like geeky comics, good news, I already made one for you. It's at hijinksandsue.com. If you want to hear more of my dulcet tones, check out podcast.hijinksandsue.com. (laughs) you <laughs>